Welcome back to 402 of the Doctor of the Age, the Doctor of the Podcast. I'm David Ginger, and I'm Ginger. Hello. Today we're going to talk about episode one of The Horns of the... No, The Horns of Nymon. Right. No the extra the in there. Right, we see a ship flying through space. Um, looks like a fairly large ship. And then we see inside there are two... Kind of a rundown bridge area, and there are two crewmen, a pilot, co-pilot actually, and uh, co-pilot is arguing with the pilot about how they wants to be fighting instead, and the lack of equipment that they have. The pilot tries to tell him to be patient and trust in Naimon. They will, will, they'll fulfill their contract with this last shipment that they have. And then there, there will be a, a great fighting power again. Um, so that yes, it's their last shipment. So the co-pilot says, "Hey, go check on the cargo." So he goes in, his pistol drawn, and um, opens the door, and there are what eight, ten to twelve young people, and all like uh, gold type of uniforms, and. Uh, he calls them wicked scum, and then she closes the door again. And says, "Oh, they're fine." So he thinks that you know, well, they can get to where they're going to uh, Skanos. It's like a twelve-hour trip, and he's anxious to to get there and get back, especially because it's their last shipment. So he says, "Well, maybe we can make it nine hours." And the pilot's like, "No, I don't. We don't want to overload the system." It's, you know. We can't repair it. He says, no, no, I, we can make it nine. So he puts, he sets it in. It's like, okay. It's like, actually, we can do six. And pushes it even farther. And the systems start to blow. And they've wrecked the ship now. And they'll have to fly it in on manual. But then they get skewed off course and go out of control. We see the cargo are all scared and nervous because they see that they can feel the ship listing and, and moving about. Now the ship is stranded and um, there's a, an explosion and the, the crew are um, the co-pilot and pilot are um, passed out in the, the bridge room. Inside the TARDIS, the doctor is making modifications and he's turned all the systems off that that he can turn off. And K9 is trying to guide him, but he, he says that they're still moving. And the doctor ignores him, but then he says, No, we're still moving. Well, how can it be? And I turned everything off. And then Romana comes out and he tells her that she, he's working on things. And she's, But we're moving really quite fast. And he says, What must be a gravity field and he tells her that he sh- she says well we should let's just dematerialize out of here and he says well he took the dematerialization circuit offline to do his repairs and she looks at the at the systems and then she, they think they may be in an uncharted black hole and they can't materi- dematerialize now so Romana um, actually kind of yells at the doctor and says to put it back together and then he's under the counter 
working with K9 and there's a flash and some smoke and K9 is injured, I guess you could say. His head spun around, so the doctor fixes it and he's okay. And then there's more flash and smoke. And Romano turns on the view screen and they see there's a spaceship on the scanner. But then they're headed right to it. The co-pilot uh, co radios in to try to reach Skanos. He awakens and finds the captain is dead, or the pilot is dead, and he tries to tell them that they are lost. Then on Skanos, we see one of their soldiers, Sorak, comes into the great, great room and asks to speak with their leader, who comes in from a doorway that has like a electronic curtain type of entrance to it and he he steps out from this and he says that he has spoken to the Naimon and the second Skonon Empire will be born. The TARDIS then gets closer and closer to this ship and they kind of crash into it, get stuck to it. And uh, the doctor then, I, I, I kind of missed exactly what he called it, but he sets like a light bridge that they can walk down from the TARDIS to the ship and get inside this cargo ship they crashed stuck onto. So they go in there, make their way into the ship. Ramana and the doctor looking around, they find these clear plastic globes that open, pop open halfway and have a translucent blue crystalline structure in it um, that they, Romana identifies as hymetrocyte crystals and they're um, somewhat radioactive, uh, which canine uh, reads and, and warns them about. Uh, they're going to go off to explore other parts of the freighter. The doctor sends K9 back to the TARDIS to um, try to diagnose what the problem is with the TARDIS. So they find the locked door and the doctor uses a sonic screwdriver to get out of that and they break into the hold and they meet the frightened cargo. Um, the doctor offers them and convinces them that Jovalibers are safe and gives them, gives them some candies. And the they identify themselves that they are from Aneth planet that um, pays tribute to the Naimon on and they're on their way to Skonos. Um, and one young man is Seth of the Prince of Aneth. They hear other banging noises and they say well the other things must be crashing into the ship as well with because of the gravity whirlpool that they're in. Uh, Dr. Romana wonder well, what if someone is trying to create a black hole here? Um, and then they find that the gravity is increasing more and more. Dr. says well uh, to the to the cargo to the um, the tribute who's in charge here and as he says that the door slides open behind him and the co-pilot comes in with a gun and says I am so the co-pilot 
asked who they are and how they got on there and the doctor ends up somehow he turns the conversation around and says how he thinks he can help him get out of there so the doctor and Amana are led out under gunpoint to help see if they can help get all of them out of there um, he co-pilot says that oh the pilot is dead yeah he crashed the ship back on Skanos Soldade is trying to work on some type of device and uh, Sorak comes in and tells him that the sacrifice sacrificial ship has been has disappeared it's been lost and they have no trace of it they can't find it anywhere and he says you need to find that ship the doctor says how the um, he's looking at some of the equipment up the ladder and looking at some engines and says oh he's says how it's very old equipment and um, very disrepair seen better days but he thinks he can fix it and then talks to Ramon about you know well do you think this would work but I don't know if we have enough power and she says no but we could modify the engines to use the hymetrocyte crystals as fuel so she goes up the ladder to check it out and uh, he's here you might need the screwdriver and he goes to hand her his sonic screwdriver. She says, no, thank you. I've made my own. And so she hands it down and shows it to him. And so, oh, a little bit primitive, but nice. Then he hands her back his, and she catches him on it. And uh, so he gives her, her back to her. Um, so he goes through the laser curtain or the electronic curtain again. He says he has to inform the Naimon that the ship can't be found. K-9 is assessing the TARDIS damage, and the doctor goes back to uh, check on him. He asks which surface, is this working? No. Is that working? No. How about this? Oh, okay, I'll take that. And he takes some bits and bobs from the TARDIS in order to get the freighter moving. He also asks K-9 about this Ghanan Empire. So, uh, previously, a large fighting force in that part of the galaxy but lost the war to someone and it's uh, no not much record since because all he tells him back in the uh, the ship engine area there the gravity is increasing even more and there's Dr. Ramana and the co-pilot are kind of in a slow motion kind of um filming because it's such high gravity. Uh, plan is that uh, Romana will place the device from the TARDIS uh, in the engine. The doctor will go back to the TARDIS and then on Romana's signal the co-pilot will activate the engines and then they'll try to break free. The doctor is planning to park the TARDIS in the cargo hold of the freighter and then they can break free of the black hole of the gravitational field fix the TARDIS and then be able to both go on their merry ways um, even though the doctor has already said that it doesn't like the sound of the, um, the tribute of the of the Aneth uh, young people 
so the doctors and the TARDIS, the Romana puts the device in, and then the lights uh, brighten up and come back on in uh, where she is in the in the engine room, and she goes to the check on the young people that Anethians, the people from Aneth. That might be easier to say. Um, and they, um, she notices, or she knows, she notices, I think, or anyway, um, whether that they, they were moving. Somebody finally says that they are moving. And as she, they notice that, she says, well, no, they shouldn't be moving. Uh, the co-pilot closes the doors, locks her into the cargo room, and is taking off. She uses her sonic screwdriver immediately, gets out, goes up to the co-pilot and yells at him that, you know, what are you doing? You shouldn't be moving. The doctor's not back yet. And she says, I have to get this cargo to Skona. She says, no, what you have to do is wait for the man who just saved your ship. And he's not back here yet. He's not, he hasn't come back from the TARDIS. Soldied is going farther and farther into this tunnel, these uh, hallways that lead to where he needs to speak with the Naimon. Um, he goes farther through these uh, hallways to a very, um, a room with a lot of technical equipment in it and there's a, a seat from a spaceship and some controls and uh, back from the outside of that room it comes around a bull-headed creature and says, you dare to disturb the Naimon. And back on the TARDIS, the doctor is with K-9, and K-9 says there's a great mass of a asteroid or something coming toward, heading towards them, or they're heading towards it. And the doctor says, oh, that's no asteroid, that's a planet. And it's headed straight for us. And we end. Yeah, you kind of forgot the worst bit of that little sequence, which oh. is the doctor starts to hug canine. Oh, yes. But we'll get to that. <laughs> so obviously this is taken from the Greek myth about the Minotaur. Yes, again. Yeah. <laughs> visited that myth before, but Yeah. But already it's a better, seems to be a better story, or at least it's being better told than our last story. So it's more interesting. Mm, mm. Um, we go right into uh, these, the, the pilot, co-pilot of the ship, cargo ship, and uh, the conflict they're already having, and they get stuck in this gravity whirlpool and then the doctor and the TARDIS do and are intertwined immediately. Mm -hmm. So there's no, there's not much time to, to be bored a little bit with the, the parts with K-9 and the doctor and the TARDIS are really kind of boring, honestly. Yeah. Um, and you can tell they're meant for the younger, younger, younger viewers. You know, who would be fans of the dog. <laughs> I think a lot of the time the canine bits are thrown in there for the slapstick crowd. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. Adults with 
humors that are like kids, you know. Yeah. Which I include myself most of the time. <laughs> there was one part when the doctor's talking about all the things that he's unhooked and that now that they're having issues and having to try to fix it. And he's just thinking, well, what could possibly go wrong? And then there's a big list in the ship and it, and it falls to, you know, out of sight under the, the console. And then says, you know, I really should stop saying that because every time I do, then, you know, something goes wrong and then we, that happens again. That kind of made me laugh a little bit. Makes me think of, how hard could it be? Mm. <laughs> That's the doctor's equivalent of how hard could it be is what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Um, and it was kind of weird, but I, uh, whenever the co-pilot goes to the cargo to talk to, to see them, the uh, the people from Anna, mm -hmm. um, he goes, "Wicked scum!" <laughs> it's like three times, I think. At least twice. <laughs> At least twice, and I think it might be even three times. He calls it "wicked scum." And not that I think they deserve it, but it just strikes me as kind of funny that every time he sees them, it's scum. Um, not that he's a very nice man, obviously. No. You know, he's... In fact, he's not at all. No. And that's pretty obvious early on. Yeah. Blames the pilot, even after, you know, like nobody's going to know. So, you know, and nobody's going to care. Here's this person, this stranger is going to help you out of this situation and yeah. you're blaming the pilot for crashing the ship when it was you who pushed it beyond what it could do. Um, but of course he doesn't want to admit that, even no. to people he doesn't know. Um, yeah, so he's a very bad man, but it is kind of, I, I don't know, it just makes me laugh when he says... Because he says it every that, time he sees him. That repetitive, wicked scum thing that he does. Um, yeah, then the parts with the the slow parts with K nine is really a, a pretty good first episode, um, and the part with the Romana sonic screwdriver makes hmm. me laugh. I've made my own. <laughs> Shows it to her and then wants to keep it. Oh, sorry. Here you go. Yeah. I think, though, if I have a problem with this episode, I think it's the fact that, how do I put this? I think I'm realizing that Tom Baker has been given a little too much freedom because pretty much everything he does now is for comedy. Mm. Uh, not everything, but it seems like he throws in a little too much comedy now. Yeah, I could see that. Like the repetitive use of lifting a body part to see how gravity is affecting. Oh, right. For in this episode, for example. It's funny once. Twice I start to roll my eyes. And he did it twice in this one at least. Uh, yeah. Once lifting his foot when they first get there. And then later he lifts his chin when he's talking to K9 about is the gravity still increasing oh uh. 
Well, and talking about the gravity increasing, the whole the segment where they were going had that filmed in slow motion. Yeah. It was like slow motion, but their their voices seemed to almost like verge like they'd had too much helium, mm-hmm. and they're coming down from it. So that your voice is mostly normal, except you hear a little bit of lilting from the helium. You know, yeah, yeah. that's how they sounded. But yet it was going, trying to go a little bit slower, like it was a thicker atmosphere, you know. But then we don't, that's not the whole, it's not carried on because when the doctor goes back to the TARDIS, he asks K9 about, oh yes, the gravity is still increasing. But they weren't in slow motion like that. Well, and the so slow motion why? immediately went away when Romano went back to the holding area. Yeah. With and the, I want to call them Athenians. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever they were called. Aneth. Aneths. I can't help but I think of them as Athenian. I know. Well, it's like, you know, why not use, not use almost all the letters of Athen- <laughs> Athens? In their, they in pretty their much planet, do. you know, and it, you know, very similar. Make it something completely different. You know? Yeah. It, it as if we couldn't get the. Uh, oh, the the, the metaphor is part, very yeah. uh, heavy-handed. Yeah, we have the A planet, S planet, Athens-Sparta. Oh, and even the Gnosis, because yeah. that's what Skanos is. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, when she goes back there, it's not continued. So why did they even start it? Yeah, I don't know. They should just left it, left it at regular speed. Like, how are you going to show that the gravity is you know, increasing? That wasn't a way to do it. I, I can understand if they wanted to try it, but it didn't work. They, and they didn't keep up. Right. Why would it be increasing just right in that engine room and not anywhere else if they're all in the same gravitational field? Mm-hmm. I did have a problem with that. Um, yeah, the yeah, the Skaros and Marcius. Yeah. In case you had any doubt. Yeah. <laughs> you really didn't need to go to that. You kind of had it at tribute. We're our, we're the tribute to the you know. You have it at Naimon. Mm. Especially when you see that he's a bull. Well, yeah, but I mean, at the the opening scene, they say something about their cargo is their last shipment, and you see the cargo is people. So, right mm. then, that that's the that's your first big clue right there. Yeah, you should already be thinking that. Having said all that, though, I still think it's a, a good episode. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, you know, I don't. Yeah, we're not knocking the fact that they're using a, a Greek myth as a metaphor and, and placing it in another setting. They they do that, you know. Very that's often. Not, yeah, yeah, that's not, not uncommon. No, that's not uncommon, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, a retelling of a um, of an ancient story is not a, a bad thing to do. You can do it really well. 
um, just didn't have to go to be so precise to make sure that you knew that's what they were telling. That, that's all. But I, I don't think it's bad that they're that they're doing it. And I think it's a we're very interested from the start. And if you can get past the, the little bits with canine, it's not too bad. You don't mm-hmm. go on too long. A little bit, but not, not that you get taken so far out of the story that you're too bored. Right. You know, you do carry on with going back to Skarnos or going back to the, the ship and that type of thing. So the the sets and of the different ship and the, the set of Skonos, um, the, the high council rooms or the um, throne room kind of thing uh, is they're quite different mm-hmm. they're um, they've uh, black gear on the co-pilot and pilot um, just kind of a general black military looking outfit with the helmet um, they've got a really like cramped and antiquated for space travel looking uh, dark area for the bridge room uh, dark gray paneled areas for the cargo um, so it looks like a, a dark dank old ship you know mm-hmm. so they did a pretty good job with that and then there's a, a bright more white and lighter grays of the open room of the the main room on Skanos and then there's a, a very, they have black uniform for um, Sorak who's like a stylized uh, shiny black uh, material of a uh, Spartan soldier Greek soldier, Greek warrior or something like that with the helmet with like very sharp um, edges to the sides and feather was it feathers? I didn't some see like, any feathers. Yeah, he had some weird headdress anyway. Hmm. It was supposed to be like a reminiscent of a Greek a Greek soldier, I believe, is what the note said. And then Solby was a long black cape and it's kind of sparkly big big yoke of a collar that stands up behind his head and he's got the dark beard and mustache and um, dark hair and has a big staff with a crystal in it so you know very kind of scary almost um, kind of Flash Gordon like um, mm-hmm. Flash Gordon the, the, that movie came was later than this right I believe so a couple so. years anyway it was the one we were I'm thinking of was the early 80s I think um, and uh, you want to talk a little about Solby? He was played by Graham Crowden, and I know him best from uh, the show Waiting for God, where he plays a resident of a retirement community. What's interesting to me is that another character from that show who played the manager i guess you could say of the community he will be in the next episode we do which is shada so it's kind of funny we have two of them back to back right right and did i see in the notes that 
was crowding up for the role of Dr. Who. That's what they say. I didn't know that, but apparently he was up for the role of the fourth Doctor. That was the implication, anyway. Mm. Yeah, I, I said I, I didn't watch much of that show, but I did recognize him when she said, Hey, it's Tom! <laughs> like, oh yeah, I did see some of those when he was... This was what, and that show was probably... Oh, that was years after this. That was 20 years after this, maybe? Yeah, 10? I can't even begin maybe to guess 10. off the top of my head. But 10 or 15, maybe. Or it's quite a few, yeah. Yeah. So been a little bit since we've seen somebody uh, from other shows that we recognize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For a while there, we had, it seems like we had quite a few. It's like, oh, I, he was from this, and he was in that. And, um, or, and we do get a lot of the repeat uh, people from Doctor Who. Like, oh, he was in the second Doctor episode, and the third, and here he is in the fourth, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I find that quite fun people from other shows especially the ones that are maybe not quite so well known yeah of course John Cleese from the um, City of Death one is a very big one big cam more of a cameo than just a cast member that you recognize you know yeah the less obvious ones are kind of fun more fun so anything else I don't think so. Not till we get to the cliffhanger. So? More stupid slapstick. <laughs> yeah, we're about to hang on to K9 for dear life, I guess. It's just oh, another reason why. I, it's just another reason why I don't like K9. Yeah. At the beginning, we have the doctor trying to give him CPR. No, sorry. Artificial respiration. Oh, yeah, when it Blows in his nose, really. Yeah. He doesn't breathe. And then here at the end, we've got him hugging K9. Oh, and in the middle, we had K9 buried in his own ticker tape. Oh, right, yeah, when he comes to check on him, see what the problem was. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really could do without those things. I think that K9 was more interesting before when he first started. Well, yeah, he, there was he seemed issues, less. But. I don't want to say powerful. That's not really what I mean. But he quickly became the cure-all for whatever situation they got themselves in. Mm. And now he's that. Plus, he's the comic foil for the Doctor really didn't need one. No, he doesn't. Maybe that's the problem. It becomes overkill because he doesn't need the comic foil. He uses the bad people around him usually and that's more funny mm -hmm. than him playing off this um, his dog. All he does is argue with his dog, too. K9 tries to tell him something, he doesn't want to listen to him. and Well, that, but he does that, that with any little... companion. Yeah, true. That's true. That has nothing to do with K9, exactly. 
But yeah, I find she's become more of a character than needed to be. Like you said, more a, a comic foil that didn't need to happen. And it becomes an easy out, which, again, mm -hmm. just takes you out of the caring about the story or being involved in it when you know that, okay, they're just going to use something you're not going to understand from K-9. And it, it's okay that once in a while he he's helpful in resolving the problems, but it shouldn't be all the time. Right. Even in key to time, um, several of them had to stay in the TARDIS because, like, power of cool, he couldn't get, he couldn't navigate in the swampy areas, and they recognized that, and, uh, like they should. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, he's a computer, and he's not meant for wet land. You know, <laughs> he can't put a pair of boots on him and send, you know, take him out for walkies. <laughs> So they recognized that, and yeah, he had to be stuck in the TARDIS um, instead of just making it that he could go wherever they could go. It, that doesn't seem that doesn't seem to work. Like, why did they even have him go with them to the ship on that light bridge, or whatever it was, when he's just going to send him back to the ship? Yeah. Back to the TARDIS, I mean. So, we're not, it's not a very good way to end. Do we think he's really in danger? No. <laughs> we might as well just stop asking that question. Yeah. We never really think the doctor's in danger. The only time that really worked, I think, for a while, and even then that, that started to wear thin a little bit, is when, in the second doctor's time, when they had... They knew that he, that Patrick Troughton had said he was going to quit the series. Mm. When they end with the Doctor in danger, really could mean that there could be something happening to him because you, they knew he wasn't going to continue. Yeah. I think that was effective for a couple times. Not as many times as they did it, though. <laughs> was it effective? Um, but I think that's the only time that it works. And unfortunately, that. You know, that's to do with the actor himself not continuing. It's about news about the show, not something within the show that's going to make you think that it's that he's really going to be in danger. Right. So it doesn't really count. So no, we don't think he's in danger. It would have been much better to, to end on the Nymon, the reveal of the creature. Mm -hmm. Even though you knew it, was, it should be a bull-type creature because of the nature of the myth, it would have been better to just stop right there with seeing what it looks like. And I think yeah, would have been a better image just to stop on. I agree. And I was really quite surprised when I didn't hear the music coming up. It's like, what? Where are they going to go now? It should stop there. Is that it? Yep. All right. Join us tomorrow when we talk about episode two of The Horns of Nymon. <sighs> Wonder when we're going to encounter the labyrinth. <laughs>
Well, anyway, join us then. Thank you for listening.